Let's go ahead and pray just one more time here. Father, thank you for this unique Sunday that uh, has turned out to be more unique than we expected, even for, even for us. So, Father, we ask that you would, in a very special way, bless the remaining moments of the service. Help us to identify with a persecuted church in uh, a way that you would want us to today, and not only today, but in an ongoing way. Help us not to quickly go by the persecuted church bulletin board, which is posted here on our north wall. Help us to realize that these brothers and sisters are a part of our very own and intimate family and that uh, they have received Jesus as Lord as we have and uh, they are a part of uh, the bridegroom. They are a part of our incredible and rich family. So Lord, we, we commit this entire remaining time to you asking for your blessing and your encouragement and uh, your inspiration in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it's been a really fun morning and just sense the Lord here in a wonderful way. Uh, Jim Grinnell, as you heard, was scheduled to preach but is not able to. We're believing Jim's going to be soon well and perhaps he'll preach what he was going to preach this Sunday, next Sunday. But this is just perfect for the persecuted church because things happen like this in so much of the persecuted church world that uh, you think you're going to do something and in fact you can do something else or you think you're going to preach and in fact you're whisked away somewhere else because it wasn't safe or you get there and they say hey you're preaching by the way and you have no time to prepare so uh uh, it's kind of like one of these mornings to be instant in season and out of season. My heart and my prayer, and we've already prayed about this for the last several hours, is that most of all, we would be reminded in a new way again how, how vitally important it is that we continue to pray for the persecuted church. There is no distance in prayer. That's a powerful statement. There is no distance in prayer. And as we pray and as we agree in prayer, the scriptures, if two or three agree concerning anything, it will be done for them. And so uh, as, as we've prayed so often, we need to continue to pray in this closing epoch of history. I mean, we are, we are moving forward in such a powerful way in this great missionary enterprise, and uh, we need to rally all of our forces, and I think uh, the scripture bears true uh, in this, that there's nothing more powerful that a believer can do than pray, and we, we need to continue to do that. I will always remember, I believe, uh, Brother Andrew standing in this pulpit. Some of you were here. I think, Sue, you were here that day. Many of you were when, uh, and of course, he's been here several times, but one time he spoke about uh, the manifesto of the persecuted church, our, our brothers and sisters. In fact, Brother Andrew, for those of you who haven't heard his name, was one of the first to start smuggling Bibles into Eastern Europe, into communist Eastern Europe. And he prayed that the Lord would close uh, seeing eyes and open blind eyes 
so that he could take what he needed to take to Eastern Europe. One of the things that Brother Andrews said in that particular message that stands out to me was that our brothers and sisters, I'm going to paraphrase, our brothers and sisters have the right to make known their situations and circumstances to the rest of the body of Christ. I mean, that makes all the sense in the world, and yet they are the least able, in in many cases, to tell their story. And so part of this morning is our telling their story. And uh, I've been blessed for the past 45 years to visit our brothers and sisters in various parts of uh, the Soviet Union, now Russia, uh, China, Cuba, uh, Saudi Arabia, many, many places. And uh, by the way, 45 years goes really fast. <laughs> it's amazing. I remember back in 1972, for the first time, our Living Sound team arrived in Krakow, Poland. We were supposedly an American rock group scheduled to sing at a youth concert. Uh, turned out it was the headquarters of the Communist Youth Club of, of Southern Poland. And uh, uh, we did our complete uh, set of Christian music. We learned a couple of Burt Bacharach tunes uh, just in case we needed them. And uh, it was amazing. And uh, our, our, our team was a little tense, uh, the first concert. Then Terry and I got pulled down into this subterranean dark cavity. It was the classic, you know, one light on top of you, interrogation kind of a deal. And the club leaders, I mean, they were foaming mad, and they were saying, you know, don't you know where you are? I mean, you're in Eastern Europe, uh, Marx and Lenin rule here. Essentially, that's what they're saying. And, and you can't do what you just did. <laughs> and, and we didn't say it, but we knew in our hearts, but we just did it. We just did, and uh, I say that not to bring any attention to us, but that is the heart of the persecuted church. They do what they have been told they cannot do. They just keep doing it. They just keep finding creative ways, just like Andrew, looking for the way to develop that curriculum that it might effectively uh, be used to advance the gospel. I mentioned Saudi Arabia earlier, uh, a fresh memory. We were there and uh, had an amazing time and heard the stories of our heroes. And uh, as you know, Saudi women uh, are maybe some of the most pampered in the whole wide world. I think that's fair to say. I don't think that's a bad statement. But anyway, uh, they have, you know, if they get sick, their husband doesn't take them to the hospital, that would be below them, so they have their driver take their wife to the hospital if she has a problem. And so uh, in the Saudi hospitals are many Christian nurses, and they just are like angels. They just love these ladies, and they uh, are like sharing the compassion, the love, the joy of Christ with them. They pray for them either publicly or privately or quietly, however is appropriate. And we heard when we were there that through the witness, particularly of the nurses in the hospitals, many Saudi women from very incredibly wealthy homes were coming to Christ. And one of the cool, we did it, even though we can't do it, kind of stories was they uh, told of these glorious, glorious baptismal services 
on the Red Sea when the sun starts rising from the east. And they would uh, baptize these new believers in the Red Sea. Wouldn't you love to be there for a baptismal like that? I mean, that was incredible. So my life of 45 years has been that kind of experience in so many different ways. Uh, Driving way too fast because that was the safest way to go. (laughs) And uh, being squeezed in between locals. Joel, you know, it's safe here, but you got to kind of keep your head down for the next 10 miles. It's not a safe area for Westerners, you know. But, you know, that's, that's creative, that's bold, that's exciting, that's amazing. And so I, I just want to uh, celebrate our brothers and sisters. They are doing things that they've been told they cannot do, but they're doing it consistently in so many amazing ways. And the gospel is advancing on all fronts. In fact, Jesus said to Peter, I will build, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not be able to prevail against it. And it's happening, and it's happening, and it's happening. That's their story. That's what uh, they would share if they were here this morning. So let's go to uh, a video. I want to read some scriptures. Maybe share another story or so. And... uh, And then at the end, we're going to have several that have already agreed to come to pray, to pray for the church. I know Sue's going to come, and I think Al and Laura. If you really feel impressed to pray for the persecuted church, you'll have a chance as well. But let's let's go to the, uh, the slides here. They see us and they will cry for us. They will say, oh, those poor people, they are living in miserable condition. Yes. But believe me, I, myself, and my family, you will see the joy inside us. Because we are believers, he give us a lot. And then he took it away by the evil hands. I don't hate them. I don't hate uh, ISIS. I pray for them, to God, to play with their hearts, to change their minds. I pray for everyone. Jesus, give them a time to mind. All this happened It is not for nothing. There is something behind it. As the clock gives a bell to wake up to your work. Wake up for what? To serve each other. To love each other. I'm sure it is the time of waking up. Waking up. Waking up. Matthew 10 says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Romans 5, 3, and 4 says, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Philippians 1, 12 through 14. This is really the heart of our brothers and sisters in the persecuted church. So many of them, I don't want to say everyone would say this, but so many of them would. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Remember our brother Jamal, some of you remember I've shared about him uh, some years ago. Back in 2013, Jamal spent 22 months in an Iraqi prison. Let me tell you his story very briefly. Jamal uh, worked with World Compassion in northern Iraq for a number of years. Uh, We would do food distributions, blanket distributions, and we always would say, Jamal, we, we have these lovely children's Bibles. Would you, would you allow us to include those as well? And Jamal's a really, really bold evangelist. And, uh, and we had our little booklets, The Story of Jesus in the Kurdish Languages. We, we said, can we use these as well? And sometimes Jamal would say, hey, that's, that's okay. But uh, many times after we had been with him for a number of years, and we were in the area just north of Mosul. In fact, it was Mosul province where the big fight is on even today. Um, Jamal would say, hey, you know, it's, it's, it's actually safer for the families and safer for you if I will take the Bibles myself privately to those homes. I'll go, it'll be another ch- chance for me to visit them. I'll do that, and then they will... Uh, they will be blessed, and uh, it'll be kind of undercover that way. So we said, Jamal, we totally respect what you, what you believe is right. Let's, let's do that. And so he would, uh, he would do that, uh, and uh, many, many opportunities like that, he would deliver Bibles privately. And then in about, yeah, it was the summer of 2011, Everything just went quiet. We didn't hear anything about Jamal for a while. And then we heard that his home had been ransacked just south of the hook. I've been in his home a number of times. In fact, his house church met there. Uh, Jamal had been taken to a prison. We didn't know where. His family found out some days later that he had been charged with these made-up crazy charges that would possibly lead to his being imprisoned for maybe 10 years. Jamal had been in prison previously, but this was the first time that he was in for a a long, long time. And so uh, we uh, prayed for Jamal, of course. We continued to look for ways uh, that we might get 
put uh, some international pressure on the government of Kurdistan to release Jamal. Finally, in January, I believe it was, 2013, Terry and I uh, went to uh, Erbil, uh, the city uh, in northern Iraq where Jamal was imprisoned. We met with our American uh, consulate, the consular general, and uh, we said, we need to get to the Minister of Interior, Karim Sinjari. We've never met him, but we've been told he has the power to put into place machinery to get Jamal released. And uh, we, uh, we begged him. Terry made this tremendous appeal to the uh, Consul General, and he said, I will go to bat for you. I'll, I know Karim Sinjari well. I can't guarantee whether he'll see you or not, but I will, I will try. After he said that, we got a call back about six hours later. Karim Sinjari will see you for 10 minutes the next day. We visited Jamal in prison, spent maybe 30, 40 minutes with him, uh, an incredible time. The joy on his face was so, so real, so genuine. Uh, and uh, just to make the story shorter, uh, at that time and even previously, we heard that First, Jamal was, was treated terribly with cattle prods and really, really bad treatment, but he continued to uh, share the gospel in his prison, in several prisons, and he was in, in several different prisons, but during his 22 months, he led about 30, I want to say about 37 prisoners to Christ, and uh, he rejoiced in that, and uh, he... Uh, uh, essentially uh, said exactly what Paul said, that uh, the Lord knew why he was in prison. That was his mission field for that season. I want you to know that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And so we were thrilled, and we, we met then with Kareem Sinjari. He gave us 30, 40 minutes, and actually through that he became a personal friend. Uh, he sends Christmas greetings and celebrates July 4th with us and many other wonderful exchanges. But we were able to talk to him about Jamal, uh, and uh, he said to us, uh, Jamal cannot be released according to our law. He has been judged by the courts. We uphold the rule of law in Kurdistan. And then after he explained in very much detail why he couldn't be released, he said, but there is. There is one and only one way that he can be released, and that is if he would receive a presidential pardon from Musad, Musad Barzani, the president of Kurdistan. And then uh, he explained to us that that has never happened for a Christian in the history of this nation. Six others have been pardoned. They were all Muslims. But he said, what I suggest is you write a letter uh, with the help of Jamal. We'll present that to Masoud Barzani, Karim said, I will encourage that the president uh, receives that letter well, sees it, and I'll encourage that he gives a pardon. And so uh, we went then to Saudi Arabia, had several communications with Karim Sinjari. On, I believe it was around April the 6th of 2013, got a brief text from Karim Sinjari, not a text, but an email, and he said... Uh, Pastor Jamal was released to his family this afternoon outside of the hook. And so, uh, again, just an amazing story.
of how not only did those 37 in the prison come to Christ, but we were able to share with Kareem Sanjari uh, about why we're in the country, and he wants us to continue to be there. He said, I know why you're here. I know what you're doing. All I ask is you speak well of us in America. And so, so uh, a, a hero story. I mean, that's what our brothers and sisters are doing in so many different ways, regardless of the situation, regardless of the persecution. Look, one quick more story, and then we'll show, show a video and then go to prayer. But uh, again, this explains how difficult it is for a Muslim to come to Christ. Aram is one of our translators. Uh, Jason Law led him to Christ just uh, a year ago. Uh, we were with him and his wife uh, just back in June. And uh, Jason, especially because he knows Aram and he prayed with him to receive Christ, was sharing with him. And he said, Aram, has your wife received Jesus yet? And he said, well, no, but you can share with him or her if you want to. And then she explained that if, if I receive Christ, if I, a Muslim, convert, I know that my father will kill me and the children and if he finds out that Aram has received Christ, he will take me and the kids away and break up the family. And so what do you say to that? I mean, we said, uh, you know, we can't uh, tell you what to do. We just simply pray that you will come to faith and uh, that there will be a place of safety for you. And so that's, that's the kind of place Andrew works. That's the kind of place the foxes work in where Muslims who are reaching out to and praying for are having to make a choice. Are they going to turn uh, their back on a millennium of a Muslim culture of life? Their fathers, their grandfathers, and so on for over a thousand years have been Muslims. That's what they do when they receive Christ. But uh, let's go to uh, another video and then we'll go to prayer. Don't pray for us, pray with us. Amazing statement. Can we put this mic up right here? Masu to come, and then I think Al and Laura are going to come. And if anybody else feels impressed, please come as well. As we pray for our persecuted church family, Let's be praying that they would sense God's presence, that they would know that the greater body of Christ is praying for them, that they would experience God's comfort when persecuted, 
that they would see God open doors to evangelism and that they would boldly share and continue to share the gospel. I want to read a scripture that came to my mind this morning um, after Joel talked to me about praying. Is it on? It's John 15, starting with verse 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. And it kind of got me to thinking about the fact that you know, so many of our brothers and sisters around the world are experiencing the reality of this firsthand. And my first thought this morning um, was, Lord, please forgive me for my prayerlessness. Please forgive me for my prayerlessness. It's so easy for us to be consumed with so many really valid concerns we have for our own nation, our own culture, our churches, our families. There's so many needs. But how can we forget our right arm if it's if it's in terrible pain? We can't, but somehow we do. So my prayer for myself and for all of us is that, Lord, we would be more in tune with the body of Christ around the world that we would we would join them in their suffering and not sin against them in failing to pray for them. Um, as we were in missions prayer band and we were starting to pray for some of the uh, persecuted church, Tom Mackendorfer mentioned to us, you know, I heard a North Korean Christian say, you know, I, w we don't want prayer for things to change here. We're not praying for things to change. We're praying that God would fill us with the faith and the courage to meet the challenge. And I remembered North Korea at that point. I haven't prayed for North Korea in quite a while. And yet they're on the top of the world watch list for the severity of the persecution that goes on there. So I want to pray for them. I just thought I would pray for North Korea. And um, so, Lord, we just we lift up our brothers and sisters in North Korea. Lord, we can't even begin to fathom what they have endured, what they are enduring, and what they may continue to endure. But Lord, we want to be faithful. We don't want to sin against them for ceasing by ceasing to pray for them. Lord, we think of our brothers and sisters who have to keep their faith totally secret from even their own families. Lord, for fear of repercussions. 
Lord, we pray over our brothers and sisters and over the spirit of fear that comes with that kind of repression and persecution. We pray, O Lord, that they would be set free from a spirit of fear and that they would be filled with peace and filled with courage and filled with faith. And, Lord, that you would give them wisdom, Lord, that they would be wise as serpents but gentle as doves, that they would know how to live and conduct themselves as your lights and your witnesses in a horribly, horribly oppressed land. Father, I remember the ones who are in prison. There are a lot of our brothers and sisters in prisons and prison camps in North Korea. We pray for them. Oh, Lord, we know that the prison is a community and a culture of its own. And, Father, we know that you are not asleep there. You are with your people there. And, Lord, we pray for them that you will give them, even as Joel said, innovative, creative ways to practice their faith and to share their faith. And, Lord, that these prisons that are just abodes of darkness and chains will be filled with light and love and the freedom of Jesus Christ, that even as Jamal experienced uh, the salvation of many, that our brothers and sisters in North Korean prisons and camps will also be able to experience fruit for your kingdom in those places, God. And we also pray for those who are coming and going across the border to China, Lord, to receive training, to receive supplies and provisions with the full intent of going back. And, Lord, every time they cross those rivers, they, they are in, in dire jeopardy. Lord, we pray for them. Would you watch over them? Would you keep your angels around them? Lord, would you enable them to bring back to their brothers and sisters in Korea the things that they need, that they need to endure and to keep going? God, we pray for you to sovereignly encourage them sovereignly be with them let them know your presence your peace your joy and your strength oh god and lord we do pray at the right time that you will topple this regime lord that that which oppressed them will be but a memory god we pray we thank you oh lord in jesus name amen Mine is uh, a uh, group of people in Sudan who live in the Nuba, Nubia Mountains. These people are uh, persecuted by air. There's bombs being dropped. It's kind of amazing how much that is done. And they're very very poor people but they are, they are Christians many of them and their children though are targets for these Muslim militant groups 
and they uh, take them from their families and make them soldiers. Uh, they take these young men, kids even, under underage, very, very, uh, very young. So Lord, we do pray for the Nuba Mountain people in Sudan, Lord, that you would increase um, food uh, distribution in that area. We pray for the hearts of the people that they would turn to you as they as they endure uh, the persecution of these groups, these militant groups that break up families and. We know that your love, your concern is there as we pray, Lord. You hear us, and Father, we know that these people are precious in your sight. Amen. It says in Revelation, be faithful unto death and I'll give you the crown of life. And um, there are a lot of people, uh, Muslims and people all over the world who are who had a, uh, seen Jesus in a dream or had a vision about Jesus or maybe had seen the scripture or seen a uh, film about Jesus and are convinced that Jesus, who he says he is, but they know they just can't accept him, they can't become a Christian, they can't get baptized because if they do, like the stories that Joel was telling, you know, it may actually cost them their life. Um, they may literally get their head chopped off if they confess Christ. Now, we know it's worth it. You know, you don't know what the future is going to hold, but uh, doing the right thing, confessing to Christ is worth it. So let's just pray that there could be a great harvest uh, at this time among these kind of people, that they would realize that it's, it's really worth whatever price you have to pay. Father, we do just pray for there must be many hundreds and thousands of people now around the world, especially in the Muslim world, who are convinced that Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God, but they know that there'd be a really a great price to pay in this life for making that confession. We pray for the movie or Holy Spirit to uh, convince them, to give them what they need uh, to make the right decision to confess Christ. And... Uh, be faithful unto death and uh, we thank you Lord that we have the freedom now at this moment in this place to confess you uh, without much uh, opposition Lord so we just pray that you'd uh, bring a harvest now these people in uh, Saudi Arabia and all throughout the Muslim world that they could uh, realize the great gift that you're offering them could uh, confess you and your church could be planted in these most difficult places. Your kingdom could be advanced. We ask in Jesus' name.
about a month ago, I attended a conference, and uh, one of the things the speaker said was that one of their contacts had, uh, well, let me back up a little bit. Uh, here recently, there was some more uh, people that uh, were executed. They were in the orange jumpsuits, and uh, those were Coptic Christians. That, that whole group of them were and two of those men were brothers, literal physical brothers. And the speaker had a contact who was able to interview the mother of those two men and asked, you know, what her response was. And uh, she said she was grateful for their actions and that her sons were with Jesus and uh, she did not have any bitterness or regret and she said, in fact, if I could have those killers into my home, I would love them. And I would thank them that they, my boys are safe and in the arms of Jesus. And I would share Jesus with them with the hope that they would repent and, and come to know Jesus. And uh, there's a real possibility we could lose Andrew. And so I've meditated on that. Could I have that kind of love and that kind of forgiveness and that kind of graciousness? And I pray that I would. And I think maybe with God's grace, I could. But are we holding life so dear that we're not able to think of the impossible as very much real? And this speaker that I heard, they had three emphases of their ministry and one of the prongs was to prepare Christians in America for persecution. So it's not just out there. The very real possibility is it's coming here. Are we living our life on the edge so committed and so on fire that we don't hold our lives dear but do the right thing? Speaking of the persecuted church, I'd like to finish by reading Romans, uh, the last part of chapter 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We were considered a sheep to be, sac to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer 
through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Fathers, we prepare to go to our homes now. Father, help us to continue throughout this day and throughout the days to come, often stop to pray for our brothers and sisters in China, in North Korea, in Sudan, in Iran, throughout the Middle East, in Saudi Arabia, in those many, many places where real persecution, where lives are being lost to the sword, still happens and is happening. Lord God, we pray for our brothers and sisters, but we also pray with them. We pray, Lord, that they will be bold to continue to advance the cause of the gospel. We pray, Lord, that you will protect them when they're in extreme danger to know what to say and when to travel, when not to. All of those intricate, difficult decisions that they have to make many times daily. Lord, we pray you would keep them in health. Pray their families would be strong. We pray, Lord, that they will be blessed even miraculously with the provisions that they need. Uh, We pray that there would be sufficient food for them, blankets when it's cold. And, uh, Lord, that they would uh, have this deep knowing that they are not alone, but that the church worldwide is praying for them, not only today, but on a weekly and even daily basis. Father, help us to continue to be faithful soldiers of the cross here at home and in uh, whatever circumstances we find ourselves in. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you that... As you spoke to Peter, you made it clear that the gates of hell will not stand against your church. And we celebrate our brothers and sisters who are planting churches all across the world, even in North Korea, even in Afghanistan, even in Yemen, even in Saudi, and in so many places where it is so difficult. Thank you, Lord. We give you all glory and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you all. Thank you for being here today. Yes, why don't you come up and do that, okay? We have some great resources. Um, the first one was in the bulletin today. And this is, this is wonderful. It has scriptures along with topics, and you can pray scripture uh, as you would think about the suffering church. And also, every month out on the table, and I think on the literature table, uh, are stacks of these from Open Doors. It's called it's Prayer Force from Open Doors, and, and it has a daily uh, prayer request for some nation of the world, um, 
and the Christians who are suffering persecution there some kind of challenge. So I encourage you to pick these up and just keep them with your Bibles, and um, that way we can pray daily um, and, and know what to pray about. <laughs> I know that's a problem. So anyway, they're out there on the table now. Thank you, Sue. Let's do that because it really helps our focus in prayer if we'll have these reminders in our Bible and uh, pick them up on a regular basis. Have a great day. Let's continue to pray for America, and let's continue to, uh, to be strong at the polls. Let's, let's all, all vote this Tuesday. It's our privilege, okay? Bless you.